0: Tell us, old school guys, we're not cultured, right there. Little Fritz Chrysler on the violin. Um, I want to welcome everybody back to our show here, Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined by my co-host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Them All, uh, episode 238 on the network. Uh, I want to continue to thank our audience. You guys are killing it for us. We're up over 40,000 subscribers right now. We have over 250 affiliates that we're about to engage with our audience to help them get uh, discount prices on items they're already buying. And then uh, our wonderful co- our wonderful hosts are going to benefit from that financially. So it allows us to keep our network ad free and subscription free. So everybody can keep living the life they're living, but our hosts can get rewarded a little bit and so our audience. So that's what it's about. We're we're there for you guys, and thank you guys for being there for us. So with that, Bob, welcome back to your show. Been a week now. I know you caught some games on Sunday nights. You got some stuff that. You picked out it sounds like those guys weren't
1: paying attention to your podcast last week. Otherwise they wouldn't have made those mistakes. <laughs> I so. really listened, but some of those mistakes are kind of ingrained in their brain. But uh, you know, one thing I saw was really good, Rutschman, really good young player, very fundamentally sound. He went first to third on a single. And actually on the wait a second, he watched the ball instead of looking for the third base coach, but he made a great straight in bent leg slide at third. Then he then he stood up, you know, popped up. But it was fundamentally it was a perfect slide. I've seen so many bad slides every day. One of our uh, outfielders stole second the other day. He had a good jump. He would have been safe, but he slid with both feet in. And he was lucky he didn't hurt himself. Lucky he didn't roll an ankle over. And up in the air. Second baseman tagged him out. And he should have been stolen base, but he was caught stealing. But just stuff like that. And uh, another thing I saw, right field for the Yankees. Uh, ball down the line a little bit. Made a good throw, but airmailed the second baseman. Actually a shortstop. And the runner was uh, safe because it, short step had to reach up high. By the time he brought the tag down, he was in the, he was safe in the base. Now, if he told one hop, the ball would have been about, you know, waist high, maybe lower. He could have slapped the tag down. He would have been out of second base, but just fundamental stuff like that. I don't know if they practice it. I don't know if they believe that, but you know, the one hop throw is still the best throw to make when you're into to a base, you know, where you got to tag your runner out.
0: Yeah. And I told you, we've been employing that. We, we, We use that, but never emphasize it the way that you're the way you say it. And I'll tell you what, in the last, I would say, 30 to 40 days of our training, it's paid great dividends, not just in terms of us controlling the base runners, but in terms of our accuracy, our decisiveness and uh, arm strength, because guys are starting to use that. We use that as part of our long toss now. We do a portion of it where we we one hop to our partner and uh, it's been phenomenal. Uh, We we emphasize it daily now. It's a part of our daily practice right in the beginning. with the long toss. So we pre- you got an audience of one, at least, that's paying attention.
1: Well, that's good. Well, One thing you'll notice, too, if, if the outfielder can't reach the base in one hop, he'll throw the ball right to second base, which that, that's not bad either. You keep the double play in order. Yeah. But no sense trying to make a throw that you can't reach and you could be a three-hopper or, or try to airmail it, and the trail runner takes the extra base. I mean, the whole thing is control the trail runner, keep the double play in order, or with two outs, keep them getting, or make him get two hits to score to run.
0: Yeah. No b- baseball common sense but that stuff's got to be practiced day to day so it's intuitive when they get yeah. there's not a spreadsheet that can tell you that that's
1: comes. No, from you. but you can practice the thing is you can practice it and it's a lot easier to a one hop you can miss a spot maybe by 12 fifteen feet and still be one hop might be on a way up might be on a way down but it's still going to be you know waist high at the highest so it's an easier tag play and it's just a lot more accurate.
0: Well, I would agree. I would. Our, our fielders say the same thing. It's much easier for them to handle. Um, much easier for them to apply the tag. And our outfielders are finding it's more accurate for them to do it. Right. And our cutoff men love it because uh, they're moving <laughs> into the cut now instead of us waiting on them. It's uh, right. the, that whole. Uh, it's almost like a uh, the it's it the motion is just so pure right now. It's it's fun to watch.
1: Well, controlling the the trail runner is very important. Like I said, it keeps the double play in order. And keeps a man at first. You need two base hits to score him with two outs. And uh, over the course of the game, over the course of the season, you're going to save a lot out, a lot of runs. Oh, without question, the pitchers have got to love you, right? One pitch, one pitch for
0: two outs is a dream. You, you had mentioned yeah. uh, the sliding. You, 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 had, you, did, you did talk about the, the outfielder airmailing, one of those, those cutoffs. What, what did you think? I, I watched the Orioles game uh, against the Yankees on, on Sunday night, and um, I noticed the Orioles' hitting approach. And I wanted to ask you about that. They, they didn't, they did not seem to be, oh, and I, I was going to tell I showed this with some of our other co-hosts. We found a practical use for iPads during baseball games. And uh, so we had our team watching it um, at their homes with their parents. And we all communicated by, by cell phone or iPad. We turned the volume down on the TV. So there's no commentators. And uh, we communicated on things that we cover in practice and things that they saw. So we could, we could kind of teach them how to watch the game a little bit better. And uh, one of the things that one of the kids mentioned was about the Orioles' approach to the plate, that they didn't look like they were so consumed with launch angles. They were hitting line drives. As, he, as they put it, he goes, Coach, they're being boring like you like us to be. Line drives up the middle. And uh, yeah. I always preach that. But it looks like the Orioles have found a different approach that's having success right now.
1: Well, I heard uh, the Orioles' manager talk one time, some show. And he said if his kid played and his coach wanted him to do the launch angle, he'd get him out of it. He'd, he'd pull him away. He wouldn't let him play for that guy. I think the launch angle is on its way out, but it's the worst thing that's ever happened to a hitter, even big league hitters, little league hitters, high school. You don't swing in a ball up. I mean, a short swing is what you want, and a short swing is basically you feel like you're swinging down but actually swinging level. And you get backspin on a ball or you know, to hit a ball the other way, opposite field, which some guys can't do it because they got the launch angle. It's tough to hit the ball the other way if you're you know, thinking about your launch angle. You can't swing up and hit the ball the other way Unless you're really, really strong, you hit out of the ballpark. But I watched Harper last night. He got a key double. Left field almost caught it, but it was a bullet to left field. But he stayed on top of the ball, and the ball carried, and he drove at the opposite field. And, I mean, that's what it's all about. And I just don't know who started this launch angle or how it started. And, you know, it's destroyed a lot of hitters. And that's why they strike out have a lot more times than get base hits. Yeah.
0: It almost looks like a Ferris wheel. Is that, uh, Yeah, Ferris wheel going up there. Yeah. Drop right. that. Bat. Hey, if someone doesn't believe it, just
1: ask Cody Bellinger. He'll tell you. He's, yeah. uh, well, I would. I would hope Volpe starts swinging a little bit more, you know, down instead of trying to lift everything. Because first of all, you know, he's strong for a little guy. But if he stayed on top of the ball and got backspin, and you know, shortened his swing up by staying on top of the ball, he'd be over 300 hitter, I think.
0: He looks like, and again, I'm not there every day, so it's it's a little bit unfair for me to say. But I watched him come through as a high school kid. Watched him, you know, in spots in the minors. And I, there's always an adjustment when he gets to the majors, but he, he looks like he has no identity right now. I'm kind of going to what you said, where he's, you know, he's a, a gap-to-gap line drive hitter. I'd love to see him. them bring in Derek Jeter for a week just to kind of be with him, to, to give him a little tutelage on staying inside the ball and hunting fastballs down the middle. Uh, but, yeah, he seems to be lost a little bit right now. Again, Mickey Mantle was lost for a little bit, but I don't think people were cramming launch angle into his head.
1: No. Well... You know, we used to talk as baseball people. The guy hit enough home runs to be dangerous, and it hurt himself. He's hit, I don't know, nine, ten home runs, maybe more, I don't know. But he has home run power, but if he doesn't try to hit a home run, he's going to be better off. But, you know, it looks like he wants to hit home runs. And when you want to hit a home run, it's not going to happen too often. But if you stay on top of the ball, make hard contact, you know, distance takes care of itself. Hit the ball hard, distance will take care of itself. But when you're trying to lift it, Especially your little guy. I mean, Judge can lift it because he's a monster. Yeah. If little guys try to lift it, it's routine fly balls. Yeah. Well, I hope, hope he gets back on track. And I know uh,
0: it was a Sean Casey just took over the hitting there and hopefully. But the problem with the club hitting coaches is all these guys have their own hitting coaches on the side. So you never yeah. know what
1: information is getting in their ears and what they're processing. Yeah. Well, Sean Casey, everybody's saying, well, he hadn't helped. But, you know, that hitting coach – you take over like he took over. You got to look around first. You got to look at guys and watch him. Right. You can't jump in there and start making mistakes or you know making recommendations. You got to watch for a while. Then later on, when they're ready, they'll come to you. And again, you're not going to teach a kid until he's ready to be taught. So he's probably you know looking around for a while and making a few adjustments here and there. But eventually, his expertise will take over and they'll see the effects of it.
0: Yeah, I hope so because he was a good hitter. He's got a, got a approach kind of like what we talk about week to week. And he had success yeah. major league hitter 300 guy. And you're right. These, these kids have to be ready to receive. Um, otherwise they're going to repel him. He'll never get to him. And the best approach, hey, you gotta, you gotta know how guys learn, how they socialize before you can start imposing your, uh, your methods on them. That's how we got into this mess. Cookie cutter approach where yeah. you, know, who you were, how you learned, everyone's going to be the same drone swinging the bat with one track swing. So, um, and here we are today, but, uh, what, what, what are your thoughts now? You, you mentioned pre-show about um, pitching, about, uh, you know, just kind of a, a sad state of affairs with pitching. I know we just chatted on hitting, but pitchers, you know, five innings is like a great outing now. I mean, it, 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 nothing's changed. Right? I did see somebody go seven last night. I can't remember who I was watching.
1: But uh, that used to be like humdrum, right, seven innings, finish the well, game. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was, you know, when it, my mindset was go out there and pitch a complete game. If you only get seven, that's not too bad. But it's embarrassing in Major League Baseball that so many teams have to use an opener because they don't have enough pitchers that can go at least five innings. And it's just – it's destroying the game, really. I mean, the lack of pitching, you know, the pitchers that are hurt because they do other things besides just pitching and throwing the baseball, it's just it's, – you know, just it's ruining the game. But the only way you're going to get better is to pitch. And right now there's probably maybe a handful of guys – they would get in the jam in the sixth inning, you know, stay in there to try to work state, try to work themselves out of a jam. Most guys are being taken out in the fifth inning or sixth inning and bring in a bullpen. Then the guy come out of the bullpen, pitch one inning, and maybe nine pitches and he's out and they bring another guy in. So they just never develop, you know, arm strength or secondary pitches. And to me, it's a learning thing. Every time you go out there, it's a learning thing. And, uh, even big league guys, they got to be conditioned to go two or three innings out of the bullpen, I think. Not every one of them, but a lot of them. But it seems like that manager will go out, you know, the guy pitch one good inning, take him out. He goes through the bullpen until he finds somebody that doesn't have anything and they lose the game. But I just, I would like to see, like, I saw one game the other day, a guy went two innings, another guy went two innings, and that was, you know, nine innings. It was, I guess it was five, two, and two. And to me, that's makes more sense than going five, one, one, one. And, uh, I don't know, maybe some of you will think of doing that, maybe not, but again, else gets back to the analytics. They have done stuff that makes it like they want to go out there and have a good inning, so their stats are good. Just like the other day I'm watching a game, the team's up by five runs, they bring their labor in. He, works the, he walks the first two guys. He walked them because he's trying to strike them out. Well, we are up by five runs, the tying run's in the dugout somewhere. Just go throw the ball right down the middle and take your chances. I mean, a base hit and a walk is the same thing because it brings the guy closer to the on deck circle that's in the dugout. That's a tiny run. So I just don't think that. Again, they're all graded on, they're evaluated on strikeouts, uh, velocity, instead of just getting guys out.
0: <laughs> now that's that's the name of the game. Is I can't remember who I was talking to the other day, and it was they said the only stats – Say, oh, it was Jim Cott. Said so the only stats they used to keep back in the box scores way back in were outs and runs. That's all you could find back in the that's right. because that's all that mattered. And um, w- you know, with with the game, I think I think the game you're referring to maybe the Orioles Yankee game where they they had a seven run first inning lead and kid came out on the mound and started breaking balls off instead of just challenging people for strike. Right. Is um, and Kevin Kernan uses it. he was been using this phrase this week called tell, asking people to man up a little bit. Um, you know, th- three. Uh, you got three two counts. Uh, I saw Herman, Domingo Herman. I know that's not his game, but guy, he two guys in a row breaking pitches off out of the strike zone on three two count where they weren't going to swing. I mean, they were way out. Instead of challenging a guy, uh, you know, some well located fastball, um, instead of trying to strike a guy out three two with a breaking ball in the dirt, challenging a guy. Instead, he ended up with two walks
1: on that. Right. I mean, it's not a strikeout situation, it's a get him out situation. You know, man in third, less than two outs, you want to strike him out. But when you you know throw three-two breaking balls with no one on base and walk the guy, I mean, that's that's dumb pitching. And It's just like uh, you talk about keeping guys in their man up. Jack Morris took him a long time to get into Hall of Fame. To me, he was a Hall of Fame pitcher. I coached against him when he was with Detroit, and I first you know coached in Kansas City. He would stay in the game. As long as he was ahead, he might be ahead 7-2. He might give up three or four runs. Now it's 7-5, but he was still in the game until maybe the 8th or ninth inning. Even 19, he was still in the game sometimes. But his earned run average suffered because he stayed in the game. That's why it took him so long because I all looked at the stats and everything else. But he was a Hall of Fame pitcher the day he retired, I thought, because he won games and he helped the team win games by staying in the game, not coming out to keep his stats intact.
0: Yeah, and that's um, it's a shame because it's a body of work. And, again, that's why we're in this problem right now is people get so caught up in – Insignificant numbers being the absolute, rather than trying to tell the story behind it, like like you're doing with Jack
1: Morris right here. There were things yeah, that he selling. It's sold unfortunate for. that the game, the evaluation of the game, is by the analytics and the propeller heads, whatever you want to call them, instead of by the eye test. You know what can you do to help you win. Well, sometimes you give up three runs. It's like and you pitch two or three more innings. It helps you win today and also tomorrow because your bullpen is you know healthier. So there's a lot to win in a game, and just that one particular game right at one inning. yeah.
0: And ironically, that's the name of the game to win, but they de emphasize that statistic
1: with starting pitchers now. Right. I mean, I- it's a shame, like I said, that uh, you don't have enough starting pitchers to go one, one time around a rotation without using openers and stuff. And I don't know. And then another thing about it is you, you bring an opener and he starts the game. So you got a right-handed leadoff hitter. I saw this the other day. you got a right-handed leadoff hitter. Next time they take the opener out after one, maybe two innings, So the leadoff hitter comes up again in the third inning, and they pinch hit for him and bring a left handed hitter in. So it's like, what are you trying to do? You're killing a lot of these players by platoon them, especially at a a young level, especially in the second, third inning. I mean, you know, the analytics, it's all, you know, like a red light goes off in the dugout. Oh, here comes a lefty, bring up the righty. And I think it's killed a lot of players. I mean, especially left-handed hitters. I mean, there's some left-handed pitchers that you don't want a left-handed hitter facing, I mean. And the big unit pitch, I think George Brett and Don Manley, when you had know, two left hand hitters, actually stayed in the lineup when he pitched because he was unhittable by, for a left hander. But most left handers, and not both of them, but a lot of left handers get righties out better than lefties, especially the guys that throw change ups. So I just think that, you know, they got to do more to make guys better in the psychological decisions and the strategical decisions you make as a manager. But especially early in the game, early in the season. His psychological decisions should take a place of sometimes a, a strategical decision just to make your players better.
0: Yeah. So, would you, you would, I mean, a guy eventually is going to adjust if he's a lefty hitter facing a lefty pitcher. You promote, I mean, if you got the right guy anyway, just letting him make his mistakes, letting him learn, as opposed to this uh, knee jerk platooning?
1: Well, I was a left handed hitter, okay. I wasn't a really good hitter, but I, I'd rather see a righty than a lefty, but the more lefties I saw, I got better. I had a chance anyway, but now when a righty comes into the game, I felt better because for a lefty to hit a left-handed pitcher, which you don't see very often, they got to really keep the front shoulder in there, which you know you stay back and you see the ball better. So now righty comes in. I was more prepared to face the righty than if it was just a the there all the time. I mean, the whole thing about hitting is stay in there and not pull off. But again, there's some lefties and there's lefties and there's lefties. But I just think that yeah, you know, especially the way the pitching is now. I mean, so you take a guy out in the second, third inning, so you take a right-hander out. There's probably going to be a lefty coming in before the game's over anyway. So to me, seventh inning, eighth inning, maybe you can pinch it for him. But I just think to pinch hit too early in the game, is, it doesn't make sense. And this team that pinch hit for the guy in the third inning, they're out of pitch, they're out of players. I forget who it was, but they're out of players at the end of the game. The catcher went down, and they had nobody else to go in the game. The other catcher was already out of the game. So the manager's like, kind of, oh, you're okay, you're okay, you're not coming out of the game. And the guy you know, to catch nude, he couldn't come out because there's no one to come in there. But he shook it off and he stayed in the game. But yeah, you know, he ran out of players because he used a player in his second, third inning. Yeah, over uh, over coaching, I guess. Well, I
0: I I don't know how much because I'm not in the dugout, but how many managers are actually making
1: those decisions right now, and how much is being done? Somewhere uh, else, I can tell you, I think a lot of them aren't making decisions from what I understand, and actually what you watch, because if they were, they wouldn't do some of the things they do. <coughs>
0: me. I, I watch a guy like, uh, like Aaron Boone, obviously he comes from a baseball family. You know, I know he came from the press box to the to managerial role, but I often think he's being joysticked and you see a lot of his dis- anger coming out, which seems disproportionate sometimes, but, uh, I often wonder if that's not displaced anger at people joysticking him, um, controlling his lineup and substitutions.
1: Well, like I always said, you know, when I ran a minor lease for the Red Sox as player development and field coordinator, I always tell the coaches, "Look, at you, I'm going to tell you what to do, but I won't tell you how to do it. I'm going to tell you, teach this guy how to hit the ball the other way. Now you got to figure out how to do it. If you can't figure out how to do it, I don't need you." Or you know, another thing is, you know, the best hitters get the most at bats, or the prospect hitters. Best pitchers get the most innings. So figure out how to do it. And I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to tell you what to do and you got to figure out how to do it. So I know Aaron Boone's a great baseball mind. I mean, I've known him since he was a kid. You know, Bob Boone played for us in Kansas City and Aaron and his brother used to come to practice now and then and, you know, great kids. Both of them became good players. They got a great baseball mind because Bob Boone's one of the most intelligent baseball guys I've been around. And I'm sure they learned a lot from him, but when you're, you got to be frustrated when you can't do what you really think you want to do or you think you should do. And therefore you're a puppet and then you get blamed for everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the part I laugh at when they fire managers, like fire, fire them for what? Um, Yeah. They're just following orders in most part. But uh, from, from the tech technical side, I know we're going to cover a couple things from last week. Did you want to hop into rundowns right now? Pardon the pun.
1: Yeah. We're talking about rundowns and, you know, is a little thing about coaching. You know, when you, when you talk about a fundamental, like rundowns or relays, stuff like that, hopefully you can get where there's a the chalkboard and make it like class, classroom. You know, diagram it on the board and show the positioning. You show what you want to do. So to me, you talk inside and you work outside. And if you do have to talk, sometimes you got to talk to guys outside. One technique is have the players get down on one D so they can all see you and you, can all, and you can see them. I see, you know, the coach will talk to a team and you got them all lined up, and your little guy in the back, he can't see, he can't hear, and it's not the way to do it. Just get them down to one knee, they can all pay attention. You can explain to them what you want to do, and you go from there. But like I said, if you can diagram plays on, the, on chalkboard, I used to do it all the time when I coached in you know, minor leagues and even coached in the big leagues, and it just, they see the whole picture. And he would run down You know, you haven't had the outfielders in there because you never know when they might get involved. But uh, that's the best way to teach them. It's like school. I was a school teacher, I was a phys teacher, so I didn't, I did too much on the blackboards, but, uh, but that's how you got to teach them. And then you go out and do it, but I run downs, you know, all rundown run down situations. You want to get out as soon as possible, especially when you have other base runners, you know, ideally you want to only make one throw or if the chase man can run them down, tag them, that's even better than making one throw. So the basic rules are like the chase man gets to run and running full speed. By chasing, with the just going to tag him out. And the extra infielder goes to the base where the rundown starts. So, example, you pick the runner off first base. First baseman runs him towards second base to the shortstop. Second baseman is the extra man. He goes behind the first baseman. After you make your throw, and you want to throw the ball to the side of the runner, not over the runner or across the runner. So, the tag man has got to you know, help him do that by sliding to the inside or outside of the path the base runner taking. All right, so when you make your throw, you follow your throw up and you make your throw. And a, and a secret or technique that will help you when you're running is a look at the uh, tag man. Don't look at the base runner. If You look at the base runner, sometimes he'll slow down, you'll slow down. But if you watch the base runner I mean, watch that field that you're throwing to, you won't throw it too late. You don't need that. A lot of times a coach will tell you, say now, say now. Well, you know what? That doesn't work because sometimes runners will say now. So you, just, you watch the guy you were throwing it to and you get him going full speed so he can't stop and change direction. The tag man will start at the base or close to the base. Don't cheat don't uh, cheat in too soon because then the tag man's got to throw the ball before he gets – I mean, the, the, you know, the chase man's got to throw it before he gets the guy running full speed. All right, so you pick the guy off first. First baseman chasing him the second. Second baseman goes behind the first baseman. And when the ball's thrown to first from the pitcher – the second baseman should actually go down toward the right field line because if the ball is overthrown or kicks off the first baseman, he may be the first guy to get the ball. The first baseman sometimes can't get it, especially if it bounces off the fence. The right fielder can't get there in time. So the batter, I mean, the runner at first base will go to third base. But the second baseman goes down there. He may get it before the right fielder or the first baseman to keep the runner from going to third base. Okay, so now the second baseman heads towards uh, toward first. Now, as soon as the pitcher... Makes his pickoff move. He's got to go toward first. Shortstop's got to go right to the base. All right, so now they got the runner in the rundown. First baseman's chasing the runner to second. second. Shortstop stays at second base and then slowly creeps toward him. As he gets running full speed, the, the chase man will throw the ball. The tag man will come to the ball, tag him, catch the ball, and tag him out. So there's no way the guy can get out of it. You, know, you got him going full speed. He can't stop quick enough. But if you time it right and you you know throw at the right time, the guys can yell quickly and the other runners can't you know advance the base. So uh, <clears throat> again you gotta follow your throw, and once you follow your throw, like the first baseman throws the shortstop, you don't get him out. Shortstop chase it back to the second baseman who's out at first base. And the first baseman becomes goes to second base, so it's like a, it's like a little weave job. And uh, like I said, once he gets him going full speed. That's the most important thing. Now, we used to say go grass to grass or dirt to dirt. But grass to grass, like I say, you got to throw the ball to the side of the runner, not over the runner or, you know, opposite, you know, across the runner. So you got left-handed first baseman. You pick him off first. He's going to chase him in second. So he's going to go grass to grass. He's going to be like on the grass, a little bit close to the grass anyway. And the shortstop's got to come inside the line so he can you know, make that throw an easy throw and a throw that he can see. Whereas if it's a right-handed first baseman, he's probably going to go to the outside of the baseline and go dirt to dirt. So that's just one little technique or a little verbiage that we used to use. Now, if the runner's hung up in the middle of the, in the baseline and the fielder runs on him, he should force him like a pitcher, fall back to the pitcher. I mean, there, there's some people who say you got to run him back to the base he came from. Well, that's not true. The only time that is true is if you're like a pitcher, runner on second base, gets a comebacker, and the runner on second base, like, hung up in between second and third. Now you got, like, weave, so you force him back towards second. So if you don't get him, he's going to be on second. where if you go the other way, he's going to be on third. So that's the only time really run him back to the base he came from. So the other, the other situation is runner on first base, and he tries to beat both throws. Now, the left-handed pitcher, and he goes on first move, so he, he's trying to beat both throws. So now, the first got to come and get the ball. He throws the ball right to the shortstop. Now, the shortstop will come back. He'll start the rundown. So now the second baseman who started toward first is got to retract because he's the extra man. The extra man goes to where the rundown starts. The rundown now starts at second base back to first base. So the second baseman has got to go to second baseman. So shortstop throws to the first baseman. You don't get it. Now the first baseman chases him to the second baseman who's on second base now. So if you follow these rules, everything falls into place. Every base is covered and so forth. Now, in a case where the second baseman is playing, the, the hitter more or less up the middle, he can't get to first base, well, then he's got to go to second. Then you're going to have two guys there, but not a catcher. And the pitcher has to go to the first base and cover. But we don't want pitchers to get involved in this unless we really have to. They're more or less backing up a bad throw. A catcher, we don't want him in a rundown at first base unless you really have to. But when you shift, and you can't overshift anymore, which is good. But you still can play up the middle and you might not, might not be able to get to first base. So now the second baseman, to go to right to second base and, and the first baseman throw the ball to the, the shortstop anyway. And the second baseman's backing him up.
0: I like that. I, I think that's a good note with the second baseman, whether it's a straight pickoff or a first move. It, it changes where the rundown starts. That's a great note for second baseman. How yeah. that second baseman are treated like second baseman where there's not that overshift. I think that's a great note. What What about body position now? <clears throat> There's that, and we, we go through this a lot with the grassroots level right now. At the at the college level, not so much. But <clears throat> point of emphasis: runners on first and third, and you get that team that wants that rundown at first, maybe with two outs, so they can try to score uh, the runner from third. When you're running a guy back, so let's say it was a uh, uh, let's say it was a uh, a first move type of thing. And got the ball to first base. He unloaded it to the shortstop. As the shortstop's in that full sprint, trying to get that guy, get the runner back in a full sprint back to first base, is there a body position or a head position or an upper body position that he should be in to to chase that guy but also maintain
1: vision on the guy in third? Yeah, he has to be under control in case he has to stop and make a throw home. But the key to that play there, and they're usually running with two outs, is for the first baseman – once the shortstop starts chasing him back, he'll usually unload it right away to the first baseman or to the shortstop and the first baseman holds. But the first baseman should drift toward him to close the gap so you can make the third out before the guy can score. Now, normally he'd stay back farther so you get the guy running. But in that case where they usually go on like first move, the guy takes off, you know, like a force balk situation. So he doesn't balk, but he throws the first. First base got to unload it right to the shortstop. And the shortstop runs him back. But the first baseman chase him. His back is basically to set to home plate. With a shortstop, you can still see the runner. But the first baseman's got to, you know, creep toward him, close the gap, so he can make the out, the third out, before he can score. So that was a technique there. Now, again, it doesn't happen very often, less than two outs, because you know they're trying to conserve their outs and with a man on third base and less than two outs, they're not going to get a guy thrown out, you know, from first to second. Yeah. But that's. Uh, you know, that, that's if you follow these rules. Like, no one is a tough one is runner on third base, the contact play. So, runner on third base goes on contact, comes right to the infielder. The infielder throws home and he follows his throw. So, now the rundown starts when he catches running back to third. So, the extra man is now the guy who caught the ball, the third baseman, or I mean, the shortstop or second baseman, or even a third baseman when he throws home. The rundown starts, so the third baseman's got to stay at third, catcher runs it back, and the first baseman's got to come down and cover home plate. So if they don't get him on a throw from the catcher back to third, the third baseman now plays with a first baseman who's covering home plate. But, again, a shortstop, second baseman, they chase him, and they follow the throw whether they throw home or throw to third. A lot of times the run will be in between baseline. If he throws to third, you've got to follow the third. If he throws home, you got to, you know, follow the throw to home. So again
0: again, so if the if the contact play is is, is on and the ball's hit to the third baseman, um, is he, he's is he following the throw also or is he
1: throwing and holding up? Well, if he's if he's gonna throw right away, he's gonna hold. And you know, start the rundown will start at home plate and at the catch running back, and there's where the first baseman's gotta come down. Second baseman's gotta to go to, uh, first and the shortstop's gotta to go to second. I mean the whole thing is it doesn't it's if you gotta look around and just it's not so urgent to get to those bases, but once it develops, you can get there in time before the runner's going to get there for sure. Now, if the third baseman chases him home, he stays in the run down. Now now the run down starts at third because that's where he's charted, started the chase job. Now the shortstop comes to to third base. If he throws home to the catcher, he follows his throw, catcher, you know, runs back to third and you tag him on a third with the shortstop.
0: So it's for the audience. the key is identifying where the rundown starts and that's indicated
1: by where the chase starts and, and, uh, exactly explain exactly. that. It's all, it all makes sense. I mean, again, that's where you diagram it on a chalkboard and show them how the dynamics of it and where you're supposed to be and everything. And, but the thing is you got to, you know, like I said, the key is to get them going full speed, you know, follow your throw and the tag man has got to close the gap. Once he gets them going full speed or just about full speed and Again, you, you know your mentality is to get him out as soon as you can. You don't want to have a plain catch with a runner bouncing back and forth. But if you get him going full speed, where you can't change direction, when a tag man catches the ball, you tag him out. See you later. I like
0: that. I uh, think. I mean, that that simplifies it to a point where. Guys know what to do, but it also gives freedom to think. And let's not forget, we've got outfielders in there. We hope we don't get to that point where the rundowns happen, and so long that uh, the outfielders have to go. But ideally, you want it in no more than two throws. Is that that the max? Well,
1: ideally, you want no throws, where chase man can tag him. But yeah. you know, a lot of times, chase man's is not that quick. But at least one throw. And if it goes more than one throw, then it becomes a weave for the fielders. Like you know, I mean, throw, follow your throw. The other guy throws, follows the throw, and it comes back again. But you don't want it to go that long, but the only reason it goes that long is because the first guy, the chase man, doesn't get him running full speed. We're or, or running fast enough, we can't stop and change direction right away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't let him slide in between. Well, those and, guys you know,
0: they try to control it. The ones that are trying to get that, especially that run from third, they're controlling it by kind of dance, almost like when we were kids, used to play pickle. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. You want that guy in a full sprint so he he, he can't
1: dictate it, you're dictating it. So I, I like that. It's a great. That's a great teaching. Well, if you ever want to pick a team, you don't know too much about the players, but you want athletes, do some rundown drills, you know, the pickles, and you see the guys who have instincts, they can execute it very well. Other guys that aren't the real good athletes, they, they got no clue. You know, they, they get lost trying to do it.
0: Yep. And then uh, and, and one art that we is it's over over talked about under coach is actually ironically communication. You can communicate your way through a lot of baseball situations if you know what to say, how to say it. And, and, um, and like you said, you got guys with some baseball instinct and have coaches like yourself who are out there teaching inside and doing outside. And I like the chalkboard idea that, uh, not, I don't see that done at at all anymore.
1: Well, it bothers me when I see guys, you know, in the minor leagues, a lot of times you'll see they get them all out there and they'll, you know, they all, they talk instead of talking inside, they're talking. And I, I mean, we had a coach that, you know, he, he could talk and he's out there. You get loosen up every thousand and 15 minutes later after he's talking to him. And some of the guys can't see him because he didn't get him down on one knee. And it's just like, you know, what are we doing? I mean, you know, take time before you go outside, diagram it on a chalkboard or, or whatever, and in, so you can see the whole picture. You got to see the whole picture in order to learn what you're doing. And like I said, when you teach, you got to tell him why. I mean, why did he you follow your throw? Because you have to cover that base after the other guy runs him back to the base you started at. And just little things like that. That it all come together. It all makes sense if we follow those basic rules. Yeah,
0: I like the point with the, with the coaches talking to so am Big on strong verbs, short sentences. Um, and I joke now because you know when you're when you're coaching collegially or professionally, you're not necessarily paying for the field. But when you're doing grassroots stuff, you're paying by the hour. And I always joke with the coaches. I said, "Listen, if you got a guy that needs instruction, pull him out, talk to him quickly, get him back in. We're paying by the hour here. We want guys doing." We can talk yeah, right. for free in
1: the parking lot. And explain to them. Like I said, the big thing, tell them why. Just like don't get thrown at third base for the first out or or, or the third out. You no, know, they can't memorize that. But you tell them, you know, if you stay at second with nobody out, you get two more outs you can score. Or if you get, you know, no sense getting thrown at third base for a third out because if you stay at second, you're still in scoring position. Yeah.
0: And I saw so, that the Yankee game the other night. I hate to keep picking on Bolpe, but uh, ground ball. And he was at second base with one out ground ball was hit in front of him. And he just took off shortstop, just quick pivot. They had him by about 10 feet and judge was on deck and judge happened to be hot at that time. And I, I just thought, it's was like, Oh, that's just knowing the, knowing the situation, even if he thought he had a shot to get there. Um, you know, they would have got the guy out at first and there have been two outs with him on second base base hit scores him. Um, yeah, I just found that. I just kind of that—that was one of the iPad ones. The kids talking back and forth was like, "Oh, you would have yanked us for that." And so I wouldn't have yanked it, but there would have been a strong teaching point
1: made right there on the spot. All that is, Dave, is lack of concentration and lack of anticipation. I mean, anytime you're on a base or in the field, you got to anticipate what's going to happen and concentrate on what you're doing. But when you lose that concentration, all of a sudden you take off and it's like, "Well, hell, how many outs were there?" You know, thinking there's two outs, you know. That's why guys forget how many outs there because they don't concentrate. Yeah, And it's just, you know, Volpe is a pretty good uh, fundamental player, I think, but I've seen him. I saw him in A-ball two years ago, and I was impressed with the way he played. I mean, he's a good base runner. He did a lot of good things.
0: Yeah. And I think you you said it on the last show, the the further away the ball is from you, the further away it can be from the bag. I mean, that thing was hit on a dot, maybe six feet in front of him. And uh, when he crossed over, he didn't even beat the ball to the spot. The ball was – the ball got by him in front of him. It wasn't like he was past the ball. So, yeah, one of those, again, young guy, learning, making make mistakes. Hopefully a veteran or a coach grabbed him in the dugout and gave him a strong teaching point like I know you would have to, to help the kid get better because he's got a bright future, I
1: think, uh, in the game. Oh, yeah. He's going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll be good as long as he doesn't – you can't let today affect tomorrow. You can't let 0 for 2, over for 3 affect the next at-bat. you got to play every every at-bat, every game the same. or You know, it's a different game you just have a short memory, so to speak. But, you know, Bo Jackson could go, we used to do those, you know, talk about the fundamentals. We used to, you know, rehearse guy in second base and you know the ways you can go to third on a ground ball. Well, Bo, Bo had his own method. He'd just take off and he could beat this for a lot of times. And uh, I remember one time I played in Oakland and he took off and Bo would yell. Somebody got ridiculed. Maybe A-Rod got ridiculed four or five years ago because he, he yelled. And George Brett used to yell. Well, he yelled and third baseman, I can't remember who he was, good guy, little guy. Bo's run like hell a third. Shortstop throws a third, and the guy just jumped out of way. The bow in the dugout. He said and he just laughed. He said, I didn't want him to hit me. He said, i am beating the dugout myself. Man. But it was it was funny. But you know, Bo had you know, he was so quick starting and so fast once he got going that a lot of times he had no plan. He just beat it. Well, I remember he was his, exceptional.
0: His first hit in the big leagues was a routine ground ball to second base.
1: Yeah. Well, I've seen hit many doubles up the middle that were in front of the outfielders. You just kept going and made the second base because number one, they played deep and number two, you could run like hell.
0: Yeah. Well, remind the audience where you, you, uh, you were skipper for, for Bo and, and then, um, I, I think our audience wanted to hear a couple of Bo stories. So I'm glad, I'm glad you, you they're doing their research on you. So they, uh, they, they wanted to hear a couple. So just remind them where, where you encountered Bo and, and, uh. Maybe some, some things that he went through that maybe you coached him on that were trying to get across to young kids out there. Well,
1: 1988 was my first year in the big leagues. I was actually the first base coach in 88, 89, 90. And I never was an intern. I was an intern manager a couple of times, but Bo was not there when I was the intern manager. I, mean, I was an interim manager in 91, and Bo, we released him in 91 in spring training, which is one of the saddest days of my life when he had that hip problem right. because the doctor said he never play again. Well, he went to the White Sox and recovered. and. Played wasn't quite as good, but he's still pretty good anyway. Bo would do things that uh, no one else could do. I mean, I remember like he told me he used to, you know, when they lock him out of his house, he'd climb along, you know, go on the outside and climb up the wall and get in the second story window. I said, Bo, you're crazy. Who are you talking about? I'm not somebody in the street corner you're talking to. I said, I don't believe you. Well, sure enough, in Kansas City, in those days, the outfield wall is like 15 feet. He'd take two steps on a wall and you never got over the top, but he came close. So I believe him. <clears throat> But he would do stuff that, uh, you know, no one else could do. I mean, <clears throat> there's no doubt in my mind he could have been the best baseball player ever if he didn't get hurt. He played, you know, went to Instructional League and played, you know, was a, was a pure baseball player, not a baseball football player. But one time, one story, uh, I was coaching first and I had substitute umpires in uh, spring training. And the umpire called him out on strikes and, well, he'd give him a little bit of, you know, golf or whatever, but and he walks away and the umpire baited him. He like almost chased him and you know, toward the dugout. So, Bo spun around. So, I run down for first base to get between him and the umpire, I'm trying to push him away. And he all of a sudden, he picks me up by my elbows. I'm like three feet off the ground. He spun around, put me down. I ran back to coach first base, and all the guys in the Rangers dug out there laughing their butts off, like you know. And I said, So, next day, I said, Bo, I'm trying to just keep you out of trouble. He said, Don't, don't, don't fool with me when I'm, when I'm pissed so he's <laughs> a he stutter in those days <clears throat> I said well bro, just thanks for not throwing me he he's not safe I never would have, I never would throw you but he was so, so strong <clears throat> next thing I know I'm three feet off the ground it was just unbelievable yeah. but he could do stuff that no one else could do I mean <clears throat> you know he broke the bat over his knee many times and Chili Davis was the first guy I saw do that and Chili had a real skinny bat handle anyway and I think when Bo saw him do that, he says, I can do that. Well, he's done it many times. And one time he broke it over his head. Uh, it's on TV quite a bit. I was right behind him coaching first. He got jammed, broke his bat. So now he's carrying a bat back to the, you know, back to the dugout. And I'm right behind him. He had a bat over his head. Just, you know, he's frustrated. I said, Bo, break it. Sure enough, he just pulled it down and broke it. And some picture you can see me in the background, but a lot of times I'm not in a picture, but, uh, I just, you know, I was kind of kidding. But I said, "Break it," and he did, and it was like unbelievable. But he, he was a special guy. He ran along the wall in Baltimore, the old Memorial Ballpark, and that's that's been on TV quite a few times. And he took about three or four steps, you know, on on the, on a the wall so he's back, He went back, caught the ball, and just kept going and just ran. Excuse me, ran alongside the wall, up against the wall. But he, you know, he could hit the ball as far as anybody. He could throw the ball as far as anybody, or as hard as anybody. Sure as hell can run quicker than anybody he was quick and fast which is a pretty good combination yeah there's a difference between the two what,
0: what about um you know I know he came in as a what was he a left fielder right fielder why not a center fielder
1: well we had Willie Wilson that's the biggest reason Willie was a great center fielder now another thing about Bo you usually want the right fielder to have the better arm we had Danny Tarbell out there who actually had a pretty good arm too but I fought that all the time because I said you know you put Bo in left field to me there's more balls hit the left field with a man in second. Now I don't have any stats to prove that, but it just seemed like there were. So he could you know they won't probably steal try you know try to score because know he might throw him out. Plus another thing, Kevin Seitzer was a third baseman. So I can move Seitzer as the infield coach. I moved Seitzer off the line more, which gave him more range. He saw the ball quicker. So he could go, you know, to his left, you know, if he go two steps to his left in the position, he gained like four steps to his left or two steps to his left and only lose one step to his right. But if the ball went down the line you know, Bo would get to us so quickly that the better runner would not try to go to second because he knew Bo would probably throw him out. So it made our defense a whole lot better for him playing left because I think there's more balls and more chance to throw someone out from left field, and also you could play the third baseman off the line. So Bo, you know, because Bow kept the guy from getting a double on a ball down the line.
0: Now, ideally, if he had just played baseball, and that's a, I mean, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I'm a big Bow fan. In fact. I don't, I'm not a big collector of <laughs> autographs and memorabilia, but I had a chance to um, through getting to know him when we were in Auburn um, and, and not personally from a friend's standpoint. We got to know him. We supported his event, Bo Bikes Bama, and he signed a jersey for my son, uh, one of his old Auburn baseball jerseys. So we have that um, hung up in there. So I'm, I'm a Bo, Bo proponent, but with his, uh, with his skill, ability, work ethic, where would he have been in a? I guess today's lineups are a little odd because they bat different guys second, and they don't believe in the third hitter in the traditional type of
1: lineup. What type of? Where would Bo Ben? Where would he? Where would he have been slotted? Well, these this day and age probably bad leadoff because he could run so well. But you know, one thing about Bo, he never had a chance to develop into a real good hitter. I mean, he was good, but he could have been a whole lot better. Like I said, if he went to instructional league and stuff like that, or if he played longer before he got hurt. But I, I would, you know, I'd bat him third. I mean. He was exciting. He might strike out three times one night, but next night he hit, might hit two home runs. Yeah. And uh But very rarely do you go into the extended slump. But he was just uh, – he was a great person too. People didn't realize You know, he started a little bit. People didn't think he was that smart, but he was a very smart guy, great common sense guy. And, you know, I had two daughters. And, you know, of course, everybody loved Bo Jackson, and their friends loved Bo Jackson. So I had to get autographs from him a lot of times, and I'd bring it over to his locker. I said, Bo, well, I need you to sign this. He goes – He's, you know, you give me he, what the hell and all that stuff. I say, Bo, I can't help it. You're Bo Jackson. Just sign these things and shut up, and I'll see you later. And he did. He's okay, Shafe. I, I, I will. But he was just a, a super individual. And uh, it's just a tragedy that he got hurt. And a tragedy like Steve Palermo got shot. I mean, Steve Palermo was one of the best umpires, if not the best umpire. He got shot and was paralyzed. And that was two tragedies in baseball when I was, you know, my first few years in the game. Yeah. Um, do you still keep in touch with Bo? I haven't in a few years, no, but, uh, when I went to the, when I went to the scouts banquet, maybe four or five years ago in LA, he was there to honored him. And as soon as I walked in and he comes to chief. Remember me? I see, yeah, I remember you. He said, remember, I picked you up. I said, yeah, you probably can't do it now. Cause I weigh a little bit more now than you know, at that time than I did when I was coaching. He said, no, I can still pick you up. He gained weight too, but, uh, that's what happens to you get older. But, but Bo, he remembers stuff. He remembered that. And I always go along great when him. was just a super guy and he was a great teammate. And, uh, just, I don't know. It's just a tragedy, like I said, that he got hurt. But he uh, was fun to watch. You didn't go get a hot dog when Bo was coming to the plate. That's for sure. I, I you know, it's interesting
0: as you've you mentioned George Brett before, and George Brett to me, I mean, you can argue uh, any which way, but one, of the, <clears throat> not the best. You got to mention him in the top two, three, third baseman of all time, and certainly one of the greatest hitters of all time. I've heard him make the comment before, and uh, all those Bo programs were that was the one guy. That when he came up the bat on either team, he, he didn't he didn't lose sight of what was going on because something spectacular was was possibly going to happen. So that's that's interesting to hear from a guy as as revered as George Brett.
1: Well, another thing in those days we took batting practice, and when both Bo took batting practice, the visiting dugout was always out there watching him hit because he put on a show every time. And yeah, I mean George again, he was exceptional. I mean he, he was one of the best guys I've been around. Also, I mean great player, but great guy. He worked his butt off. You know, like in those days when young kids come to the big leagues, they like you sit in the corner. Now they go up there and they think they are entitled to everything, but you know, they, they pay their dues, so to speak. So he couldn't, he says, Shafer, what would I do? I said, see, number five out there, whatever he does, you do it. He runs hard down to first base all the time. And Bo also said he ought to put the time to first base on his, on a scoreboard, not the velocities. But Bo was just a, he was a baseball player. I mean, he come off early hitting sometimes. Not to hit, but just to be shag and be around the guys. He loved the game, and the game loved him. I mean, he he was just a great guy to watch. One of the best clutch hitters in the history of the game. Just a great personality.
0: Yeah. What were were some key points? I know we're going back and forth between Bo Jackson and George Brett here. When Bo Jackson came to where you were at, what were some, you know, not to compare it to horse racing, but he often gets – he battles secretariat when they always do that top 100 athletes for the top choice, <laughs> Bo Jackson or secretariat, human beings, messed up secretariat. Um, so I might, I guess when you get an athlete like Bo Jackson, what kind of thoughts advice, um, do you give him, let's
1: say as a hitter? Well, I was never the hitting coach. Um, I, he's such a natural athlete that really there wasn't much you could talk to him about. I mean, once in a while, you know, hitting coach, say something to him, but you know, he was kind of his own coach and, uh, he just uh, did stuff naturally because he's such a good athlete. I mean, one time I remember I wanted to move more over in the outfield. I thought he was playing too close to the line or vice versa. So I kind of dug out I waved him over, right? And he looks at me like he, he waves the finger at me like, no, I'm not moving. So he came to dug. I said, but what the hell? I'm trying to move you over. He said, don't worry about it. I'll be there when the ball comes down. <laughs> and he was. But, I mean, he knew. I mean, he could read bats, you know, bat swings. And he was just, you know. Just had great baseball sense for a guy that didn't play that much baseball, considering.
0: Yeah, no, uh, I, I I got a chance. What kind of the era I grew up in, getting a chance to watch him in in multiple sports. I certainly enjoyed every minute, even though it was short. And I often think the would have loved to see what he did what he would have done with one sport or a longer career. But the uh, the folklore that surrounds him as a as an athlete is just uh, I don't know. It's it's almost like Bigfoot. You almost wonder what's what's been embellished and what's real because he was just so freakish in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well,
1: I said he could have been the best baseball or one of the best ever. And football guys say he could have been one of the best football players ever too, which I believe it. But, I mean, he he was just so powerful and strong. I mean, a couple of times, like, he'd strike out and the ball get by the catcher and you run down to first base and I'd be, like, you know, coaching first and probably be just on the grass, you know, almost on the dirt, you know, i to stop or slow down. He fly by me. He, he scared me. I mean, I could hear him go by like it would scare me. If he ever hit me, I'd be out in right field somewhere, like an arrow. So I remember by. first baseman. He come to big leagues. I mean, remember this is Jack Doherty played for Texas. Jack was kind of a cocky guy and everything. So the first time we play him, I said Jack, uh, if the ball is down the line, if I were you, I would let it go. I said Bo won't try to hit you, but if he does, you're going to be out in right field somewhere. He's going to hurt you. Ah, no, I'm not afraid of him. I said well, Joe. I said Jack, be afraid of him, okay? Am I just trying to help you out, trying to tell you, you know, do what you got to do? Well, two days later, of course, it was a throw right down the line. And he caught it. And Bo didn't hit him. But he was enough in fair territory that, you know, he didn't get hit. But he went by him probably within maybe a foot, maybe six inches. And Jack turned around. He says, hey, you were right. He said, he scared the hell out of me. But that's how, you know, how he was. You can almost hear him take off when you're still in the base and everything. He was just exceptional how fast
0: he was. Have you, had you seen anybody before him or after him that
1: is that type of athlete? Well, I haven't seen his uh, guy with Cincinnati, uh, Della Cruz, that his name? Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen, but I mean, he's got the same kind of tools. He can run, he can throw. I mean, that thing about Bo, well, he had a great arm. I mean, that, that throw, he, when he threw Harold Reynolds out at home plate in Seattle, I was right there in the dugout. Oh yeah. Right yeah. in line with, right, right in line, you probably remember that, right? Yep. I was in line with a throw. And uh, Harold's running on a pitch. It was three and two. I think it was tie game, last inning or whatever. But Bo can, takes the ball off the wall. It's one hop on a, on a turf out there. He picks it up barehanded and just turns, takes you know one step and fires it home. And Bob Boone's catching. And the ball is coming in. You can almost see it rise. I know about the law of physics; it can't rise, but it kept coming, kept coming. And Boone he just slapped the tag on it, slapped the tag on him. And Harold Reynolds, he couldn't believe it. He thought someone put another ball in play. He told me the next day, he said, "No, somebody had another ball in play." I said, "No, that was Bo." I mean, what's fantastic throw that I've seen everybody make? That you know, the, the film of the video of it doesn't give it really credit for. You really can't see it as well as being a person there. But I was grabbing my, you know, my stuff, all the stuff I keep in the dugout, and heading for the dugout, or heading for the locker room. And next thing I know, he's out of home plate, and the game keeps going. But he just could do things that no one else could do. It was just he was amazing.
0: I remember watching Reynolds expression, even, even on TV, um, in, in disbelief, I didn't have any yeah. idea what happened on that. That was amazing to see. And you got to see it up close, which is even probably more, uh, just more awe inspiring. And that's kind of, when we talk a lot about analytics, that's what scares me about analytics nowadays, because plays like that, you're, you know, we, the audience wanted to hear some bow stories today. I appreciate you telling some, cause they're all part mm-hmm. of what we're doing, but, um, kind of a message I want them, that there there was an awe factor to what he did. There was no analytics factor to what he did. And I get concerned that we were so caught up in the science and math of things that we're gonna lose that awe that we that we got in guys like Bo Jackson. And like Bryce Harper you mentioned, those are you know, that's that's what I will miss if if this gets pushed too far.
1: Yeah. Well all I can say in those days before analytics, you know, guys I remember I don't know who it was, but he had like ninety nine strikeouts with a game or two to go. And he said, No, I'm not playing. And that game didn't mean anything anyway. But he didn't want to strike out a hundred times. Now, by the All Star Game, because guys struck out a hundred fifty times, hundred thirty times, because I think it was Billy Bean said a strikeout is just an out. Didn't hit into a double play. Well, a strikeout never scored a guy from third. Never took a bad hop. And that's how I think Kansas City won the World Series that year. They put the ball in play. It even like you said about uh, Baltimore, I mean, they put the ball in play, and that's what the game's all about. And uh, you know, some guys are going to strike out because they're big and strong, and you know, but in the meantime, they hit home runs. But I have a formula you take the number of home runs and subtract 10% of the strikeouts. So if you hit 40 home runs, you strike out 150 times, 40 take away 15, you really only hit 25 home runs. Because usually the guys that hit home runs strike out, or the guys strike out a lot, they leave a guy in third base with less than two outs. You score a guy from third with less than two outs, it's like a home run for me. So, I mean, if you want to look at stats, I mean, there's a stat right there that, you know, I don't know how legitimate it is or how, you know, how you know, how to come. But Joey Gallo's a guy to look at, and, you know, he gets a lot of home runs. He strikes out a whole lot. So how many of the home runs really help you win? So if he hits 40 <laughs> home runs and struck out 200 times like he does, he's got a negative, negative home run total. Well, he's got 20. 40 take away 20, 20% of 200 is 20. Oh, so he got 20, 20, 20 home runs. And then, oh, you. Gotcha. And again, I many of those home runs really, you know, there's five runs either way. So, I mean, your home runs, I can't say it overrated, but sometimes if you strike out, the idea you want to hit a home run? You know, home runs are great late in the game, win games. At any time in yeah. the game, it's good. But a lot of times home runs come and they don't mean anything because the game's already over, theoretically.
0: Yeah. And I got a, I got a uh, – <laughs> you may not have may not have whittled it down as much, but why
1: 10%? I just come up with it. Maybe it's 15%. I mean, I just come up with that figure because it's easier to figure out. <laughs> But, I mean, there might be a formula in there somewhere, but I'd like to know how many times a guy hits home runs, they leave a guy in third base with less than two outs. I mean, that's another thing. I watch games. It just drives me, catch, uh, drives me crazy where guys just, they take third strike with less than two outs, maybe not third, or they'll swing it at something in the dirt, which you know it's going to coming in the dirt. You just, you know, choke up, get closer to the plate, and drive the ball on the ground. And a lot of times, good things happen. But you can't take the same swing with two strikes as you do with no strikes. And you got to, you know, to me, you got to choke up a little bit. I don't care what kind of hitter you are and just stay and get close to the plate. So you can't get, you know, a ball away from you. You can still reach the ball inside. You get jammed. You got a chance and just put the ball in play and take your chances. And a lot of times you try to, I always tell my players, you try to hit a ground ball with two outs. Just try to stay on top and drive the ball through the infield. A lot of times you'll hit a long line drive. A lot of times you might hit a home run even, but striking out is the worst thing you can do, especially with a guy in third base, less than two outs. Well, I agree. It's a
0: mentality now that's been kind of obviously accepted as okay. And it's, you got the, uh, analytics saying it's a better, it's, it's a better out and it just makes me shake my head that, uh, that's almost sacrilegious strikeouts are, you know, I don't agree with it. You know, every now and then, I guess when pitchers used to hit, they would say I was better at him striking (laughs) out than putting the ball in play for an out. But, uh, other than that, if you're paid to hit, you need to hit.
1: Well, unfortunately, the, um, Lex Blasi is a very important stat for these analytical guys. A lot of them don't like a raise because he hits 390, 380, maybe 400, you know, eventually, maybe not. But I know Minnesota traded him because he didn't have any didn't home runs. Well, let me tell you, he's on base about 45% of the time. He can run a little bit. He hits singles. He uses the whole field. He's tough to defense against. And his exit velocity is like less than 90 or something like that, somebody said. But you know what? Give me the guy that gets jam shot with bases loaded, two outs, jam shot over to short stops or second baseman's head and scores two runs. As against the guy that swings from his butt and swings and misses and strikes out. So, I mean, you know, some of those, and unfortunately, a lot of hitters are, they're like evaluated. I mean, I had one guy tell me the other day, they were looking at one of the top hitters in the game was tradable. And analytical guys told him, no, his exit velocity is, is something, you know, he isn't good enough. It wasn't that good. Well, I know he's, he's got more extra base hits than anybody in baseball right now, I think. And he's, he's pretty damn good. But because the analytical guys, you know, squelch it, and unfortunately the GMs listen to those guys too much. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some value in some of that stuff. But same token, watch the game, do the eye test, and see if he can help you win. You can help, Rays Ares, Ares can help you win a lot of games by getting on base as often as he does. Oh yeah,
0: that's he's he's tremendously valuable. He's one of my favorite to watch right now. Just simple, yeah. just simple.
1: I couldn't believe Minnesota would trade him. I mean, they get a good pitcher in return, but the pitcher can help you win one out of five games. This guy helped you win five out of five games. You know, five days a week, or I mean, seven days a week because he plays every day. Yeah. But again, it was like I talked to people over there, and they said, "Well, yeah, you know, he doesn't hit extra base hits enough, or you know, not enough home runs. Not enough there for that. But he scores run, and you know, if you score a run that counts." Help you win a game, I think. Oh, I would agree.
0: Well, we've kept John for almost an hour today. Uh, I mean, audience, <laughs> you had your, your pencil and legal pad going. I know I do during these shows. It's like a, to me, it's like a master class in fundamental baseball. What, what do you have to leave the audience with today, Bob? What can we, what can we look for next week?
1: Uh, watch how many catches on one knee miss balls. I mean, I don't know where that's. I know where it started, but it's like you got to be kidding me. I just don't like that at all. I mean, to me, a catcher's job is to throw runners out, block balls, and call a game. And I see so many balls getting by a catcher because he can't get – he has no range back there because he can't move with one lay on the ground. I mean, with nobody on base, no problem. You know, even with two strikes, you should get where you can block the ball. So this guy can't get on first base if he strikes out. But – and then they pull the ball in. And, you know, like I said, that one guy with – Mets, he pulls away in all the time and – I talked to umpires about that pitch framing and everything. They said, let me tell you what, I call a ball where it goes over the plate. I don't see where the catcher brings it in or anything like that. But evidently, some of these analytical guys have stats about pitch framing. I remember one year we picked up a guy, he was a backup catcher, but he had great pitch framing stats. But the next year, he went back to the middle of the pack. So it just shows you pitch framing is about the pitchers, the hitters, and the umpire. And the catcher has something to do with it, but I can see if a guy jerks out of the strike zone, the umpire might not might give, you know, ball it. But if you can't jack jack it into the strike zone and make it, you know, become a ball, a ball become a strike. I mean, Bob Boone was really good, the best catches, but he moved his glove with his legs. So he like drift inside and all that. But even then, I don't think the umpires, you know, call it because he ended up in the middle of the plate. It's where the ball, where he's, where he catches the ball, where he goes over the plate or misses the plate.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think that's a good topic for next week too. Get into the pitch framing and talk a little bit about the catchers and the one knee and and I guess the state of the game from that standpoint, because that's uh I, I get a little disgusted watching that myself.
1: Well, I think we'll talk about runner and third base, one out, no outs, just you know, where are you gonna play the infield. We'll talk about the infield depths again with a runner on th- runner on third base. Got it. All
0: right. So I appreciate what you do with the show. It's it's incredible. Um audience get back with us with questions. I know uh, we we satisfied you today with the technical topics and we gave you a little, little cherry on top of some Bo Jackson stories, uh, which uh, our audience loves Bob. I think having intimate knowledge of, you know, having coach Bo, it's an experience unto itself. So appreciate you sharing that. And episode 238, real voice of the game, touch them all audience members, uh, subscribers of over 40,000, 72 countries (coughs) supporting us. We've set up parameters now to support you and to support our hosts. So, We're moving all in the right direction here. Bob, thanks so much for what you do for the network and your show. It's tremendous. We appreciate you.
1: I appreciate that. And hopefully, uh, if you have any more questions from the audience, just uh, we'll talk about them next week.
0: Sounds good. All right, with that, we'll sign off for episode 238. Touch them all.